And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Quickly, before we open this episode of the Warriors Plus Minus podcast, injury news. James Wiseman came down bad on an alley-oop in the Detroit game, landed hard on his left wrist, flexed it. He made the, the dunk at the time and then shot the free throw with that left wrist, made it. You know, adrenaline has a way of fooling you into thinking something is better than it is. Uh, in the off days, they did an MRI, found out it was a sprained left wrist. He will miss seven to ten days or re- be reevaluated in a seven to ten days. Though from Steve Kerr, it did sound like they expect it to be about a ten day absence, which probably means five or so games. The Celtics game, he's going to miss Tuesday, and then my guess would be the entire Texas road trip. Two Mavericks games, two Spurs games. But Warriors will be without uh, their young center, uh, their backup center at this point. They only really have one healthy center, Kavon Looney. And from talking to Steve Kerr, it sounds like the center rotation will be Looney to start. And more Draymond Green small ball center, more Eric Paschal small ball center. So here's the podcast. Plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Plus minus. Yeah, like, like you, Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tell the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well plus respected. Minus. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Warriors Plus Minus podcast. Marcus Thompson came off the bench last time. I thought it worked pretty well. Second so unit. Second unit. We're going to keep him in, a, in an early sub pattern. He'll be here early. I'm guessing, hopefully. Warriors are now 11-9. and nine. What is the largest thoughts you, Ethan Strauss, and you, Tim Kawakami, have on this 11-9 uh, and nine team? They are... A middling team so far, which, if you have your expectations in line with that outcome, doesn't just result in the roller coaster ride that we see every time with this team. It's incredible. Maybe we spend too much time on Twitter, on Warriors Twitter, but it is amazing watching how people are, are just so bipolar, where it's fire Steve Kerr to, oh my God, they're great. And if you just take a step back, a lot of what happens beyond the insane comebacks against the LA teams is more or less predictable. You expect them to pound the Pistons at home and they do it. You might expect them to lose on a back-to-back, even though they're going against a team on a back-to-back against Phoenix, which probably a bit of a more complete team. And overall, there's more positive happening with the Warriors. And we have to look at them as a broader story than this season. And if you look into that broader story, I think there's a lot there's a lot more positive going on than negative. The short-term negative is Ubre. I mean, that's the biggest negative of them all right now for them. But a lot of the other bigger trends, how Wiseman, I believe, has validated the draft, uh, the draft station so far. Some might argue otherwise, but that's what I think. And Wiggins being efficient. And being pretty good. Ethan's that's all in trend. on Wiggins, by the Wiggins. way. I don't know if we've seen this trend, but <laughs> Ethan's all in. 
He's there. He's there. I'm just I, all in on admitting reality and the thing where, hey, it's going to, you know, the, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves fan warnings and you're going to hate. Look, I'll, I don't know what to tell you. It's 32 games into the Wiggins experiment and my assessment is eh, pretty good. <laughs> it is what it is. I think, I mean, as I might have said on Slack a few times, what the hell did you think this season was going to be once Clay Thompson went out, right? I mean, what, what, what were you thinking this team ought to blow out to the number one seed? In the, there's no chance it's that good. Even with all upsides, you know, realized, if James Wiseman was the fourth best center in the league, which he is not, but he could be, he could be the best center in the league at some point, but he's not there. Even if he was topping out at most of his potential, this team would not be equivalent to one of the, you know, Utah, the Clippers, or the Lakers. Just would not. If you just exhale from there and see where they are, they are, they're one of the middling teams. But, you know, there's a big pack. We don't know Dallas and Phoenix and San Antonio and Memphis. They're all kind of in that pack. I can't sort them out. That's what the games are for. But the Warriors have beat all the dreadful teams, and there are a bunch of them. And they have lost to most of the good teams. And it's going to be how they do against those middling teams. It's just not a surprise to me. That's where the kind of the polarities of the fan reaction of these Warriors fans who apparently think they have to compete for the championship or it's everybody's got to get fired is, I guess, not shocking. But it is hilarious to kind of view through the prism. Listen, they're going to win this game and they're going to lose this game. Accept it. But then they win one game. It's, oh, my God, they're going to compete for the championship. And they lose the next one. They're terrible. Got to restart everything. Everything they've done for the last three years is a joke. Just accept what this team is. This is probably going to be right about 500 or better, perhaps maybe worse. And within that context, they're probably going to get better, as Ethan said. There are signs that they can get better. There are signs that they might have some struggles, but there are signs they can get better. I think everything that's played out through 20 games has is, is filled those boxes exactly. Slater might disagree, but I, I, that's what I would say. This is what I think has led to some of that. I mean, beyond just like it's just a fervent fan base that didn't have the Warriors for a year and got kind of obsessed with the Warriors, right, because of the five-year run. And they it was completely ripped away from them, and then now it's back. And, and I think that leads to just high level of an engagement from the fan base. I do think the swings, while them at 11 and 9 is exactly where we kind of expected them to be, maybe even a little bit better than we expected, they are still have a minus 17 point differential because they get killed when they lose. That's one of the things. Like They don't just like look bad when they lose. They look really bad. I'm looking at their win-loss splits and their losses. They're losing by an average of 19 points a game and shooting 28% from three in their losses. Like Their bad performances are like really bad. And I do think that's led to, you know, like remember when they lost to Utah, I was like, changes need to happen. Kerr has kind of, you know, he changed the starting lineup after that game. Changed the starting lineup. And, you know, he's talked about how they view this season. I don't want to get too hard. Fans are fans. They went, you know, Warriors went to five straight finals. I get it. Steph Curry is still out there. Draymond Green is out there. They're looking at remnants of what used to be as it develops into some other version so i i don't want to yeah don't want to go too hard on this but they're getting drilled by good teams this is this is a team that's not built to like go blow for blow with really good teams when the good teams are going they are just not built for that and maybe they're overachieving you know in, in some of the other games because yeah that that point differential does tell you something it, it tells you that they get overmatched sometimes just completely overmatched and they've shown it and in fairness to the fans, there are aspects of what's happening that are frustrating. It's frustrating to see Kelly Oubre in the starting lineup night after night, even if he had a good game. Even if he had a good game against the Pistons, if you watch that game, it was 
a lot of results over process because there were a few times yet again that Steph Curry is wide open or somebody's wide open and he's making the wrong decision. I think it's frustrating for fans to watch a guy in the starting lineup who has not earned that place in the starting lineup, frankly, and is there probably due to the immense financial investment in him being good. But if you want to take that 30,000-foot view and you want to step back from it and not think game-to-game in a season where they have zero chance of winning the championship, it's way more important for the Warriors that Andrew Wiggins turns out to be good than that Kelly Oubre turns out to be good. And Andrew Wiggins turning into a guy from the worst contract in the league to quietly efficient, oddly consistent blocking more than twice as many shots as he did as a as a Timberwolf I mean that's huge not just in terms of what they can be going forward but if you want to flip them that's also big I'd say since the greatest Steve Kerr play of all time is to make sure that we all appreciate Andrew Wiggins by playing Kelly Oubre so much it's like wow he's better than Kelly Oubre he's really good uh what a what a play that it would be what a play that would be and he is a lot better than Kelly Oubre there is not a question about that I don't know like I, when people talk about trade Kelly Oubre and maybe they can I'd say what are you trading Kelly Oubre for I mean I know expiring contract whatever but Man, I don't know what you get, Kelly. I don't know what you get really on the market for Kelly Oubre. One thing I would say is, as we talk about like this wild swinging polarities of the season, they're the worst rebounding team in basketball. They had the worst starting lineup in the league by far, yet they're supposed to be like a fringe playoff team. That's what caused a lot of angst. And then, yeah, the Oubre stuff, where Ethan's right, is like he was slumping. Like, was that one of the worst slumps in NBA history to start a season? Like, <laughs> yes. I mean, I yeah, for might. a good team, for a good player. Yeah, I mean, I'm, for a fourteen million dollar player. Yeah, I'm mean. about to, I'm about to go look right now of like the high volume three point shooters in the league. Like, where does he sit as far as um, like worst three point percentage? And you throw in turnovers in, in that mix uh, and lack of assists. It was really bad. I mean, t- players don't normally get 20 games to do that. 177 guys have taken 50 or more threes this season. He's at 22.8%, which is second worst. Who's worst? Alexei Pokachevsky, the, the 19-year-old rookie for the Thunder who, like, she has no business being in the league, but the Thunder's tanking. So they're like, just bring him overseas, play him a bunch of minutes. Like, let's see what this kid is. Rumor has it now we have Marcus Thompson. Marcus thoughts on the 11 and 9 warriors uh yeah no. <laughs> you're supposed to come out you're supposed to come you're supposed to come off the bench firing mark it's not this stumbling around with the ball you know, i'm supposed to be kelly Oubre. <laughs> yeah you're supposed to action you're supposed to energy off the Oubre bench getting killed he, you know he had a, i feel like he had a decent week he had only had one bad no, game I'm he was good off the bench he was good off the bench there's only one in. game where he was an absolute failure the other ones he was, okay. hey, he was like seven of seven one point in the in a timber of wolf game he came and get buckets uh where do we start we just talked about just like the polarities of the season and then obviously like the fervent nature of the reactions, which, you know, at 11 and 9. I'm doing the reaction to the reaction. Is that what I'm doing, reaction TK? Reaction to the reaction. Absolutely. The reaction to the That's reaction. That's what we're doing. Do you want to fire Steve or not? That's really the... Uh, that's really or you could give a niche take. You could just give a niche take on the season. Beat the teams you're supposed to beat and split split against the really good ones. There you go. Boom. That's the Warriors plan. I actually think Steve Kerr has done a, a good job. Uh, he somehow ends up always vindicated. His long game always seems to work out. If Draymond is right and he's a couple weeks away, when this team is clicking on all cylinders, Steve's going to have some I told you so's. 
you know, he's going to have some. See, right now we're rolling a little bit, and I told you all to be patient. So I think Steve's actually done a pretty good job, you know, even though I'm, I'm definitely an advocate of Steph shooting 25 times a game. I, I still think that's the that's the way I do it. I understand all that. I'm, you know, I watch Kelly Oubre start, and, you know, what is going on here? These are essentially wasted minutes with with a starting group. But it's not like they have, like, Damian Lee's for this sure thing going to be great with the starting Oh, my group. God. You've it's been the, killing yeah. people for that, too. Like, who's I coming know, so in? Like, like, who exactly? <laughs> who do you think they got back there? Now, again, is it— Will is Barton, it, baby. Is it some amount of, of improvement possible? Yes. Is it some amount of not improvement? Yes. So that's where, like, hey, I get getting Ubre out of there would seem like the, the normal thing to do. But it's not like Bazemore, Lee, Mulder, Poole, whoever, Smiley Geach, whoever else you want to put on that list. They still got Jacob Evans on this team? I'm not sure. Any of those guys would be like, hey, that's it. The starting lineup's a lock now. So that part of it I certainly understand from Kerr's point of view. And, and that part of it I still think he's using as a, hey, I still got a move or two left. I didn't, I didn't think he was going to go loony for Weissman. But you look at, you know what, who's leading the team in plus minus right now over the season? Ethan's guy, <laughs> the Looney Renaissance, number one. Who did he take the medal from? Damian Lee, Lee. <laughs> who was number two, and who was last on this list? I don't think anybody would be shocked. Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre. Oh, yeah. Why? Wow. Why has been second to last? Why has been second? But last? but I will I will say though, like I get Steve's point, but also if it gets you two games, doesn't that matter in a season like this? If you're if you're thirteen and seven, that's a dramatic difference than 11 and 9. There's probably an argument that on the back end, if, if all this long game works and you get seven more games on the back end than you would have gotten because you created this growth pattern, then it's a better argument on the back end going into the playoffs. Who knows? Or the long game is just creating trade value for Kelly Oubre, and maybe that's more important <laughs> yeah. than them. Are they doing that, though? Are they doing uh, No, it's not. it's been going the other way. If anything, they should make him more of a Sasquatch. Of- Can I just say, he actually had a per- decent week. Like, he really did. I mean, I... He had the, he had the nice game against the Timberwolves, the absolute dud in Phoenix. I mean, he pretty much lost the game, so don't get me wrong there. I thought he was okay against Detroit. He, you know, he probably what he was against Detroit is what you sh- what they want from him consistently, right? Is like you know, do some disruptive stuff. You're gonna make some mistakes, but still add to the mix. Yeah, make a couple shots would be a bit, yeah, make a couple shots is is pretty important for him too at this point when he's gonna keep jacking. I mean, that's the point. I think we all like. If you're going to shoot this terribly, stop shooting. You know, just take three in a game instead of 11 or 14 or 16. Take six if you're feeling good. Take nine if you're feeling really good. And he just puts up 12 a game. You're like, boop, he's, he's, he's putting up, you know, five threes. He's putting five threes a game. I, that part is the one I think that is is baffling to me. I'll push back on good week a little bit. I mean, I said decent. I said decent. <laughs> you're technically right as far as two good games to one awful game. But that one awful game, not only was it on national TV, but his teammates, or specifically Steph Curry, was just throwing shots at him after the game. Theoretically. Theoretically. Not by name. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly eviscerating him uh, for all to see. And so I do think that might have overshadowed the contributions of of Kelly's week when we look at it. Maybe credit to Steph because he bounced back with a good game after that. The one thing that, you know, Steve has mentioned uh, after the Timberwolves game, because, you know, Uber, I think, had maybe four assists in that game. He's had a couple three and four assist games. He doesn't do it all the time. He still sometimes, like, wants to go, this is my time, and, like, take people off the dribble. But he does seem to be getting more often, hey, 
if I'm catching and I'm slashing into a lane, go to the rim, but don't try to beat guys off the dribble. Catch it and move it if the lane's not there. He does seem to be doing that a bit more, but you know, he also then did that the other day and had like Draymond Green eye rolling at half court as he was like trying to take like Wayne Ellington off the dribble or something. He like is that. a uniquely like total left handed player who drives to the right side more than any total left handed player I've ever seen. And he can't make a right handed layup. He can't do it. So it's it's bizarre. Like like if you're gonna drive, drive with the left side. Don't drive on the right side. He does bizarre th- he just does bizarre things that Having watched the Warriors for as long as we have, you haven't seen guys do like that. Certainly not to that volume. Shaw Livingston played a ton of minutes. Did he take a ton of shots? No. There was a reason for this. Uh, and Kelly Oubre does not seem to have anything like that on his mind. Anyway, we don't, we've talked enough about Oubre. We always talk about Oubre. I'll tell you where I wanted to flip at the top. We always uh, talk about lo- losing, apparently, and losses, yeah, right? Just, we all... yeah. We're talking after a win, technically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you don't do that all 82 after wins. Come on We now. did it after the Detroit game. I like made sure we did it because they won. <laughs> all 82. All 82 hosted by Anthony Slaker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. <laughs> Draymond had a post-game comment uh, that said he's two to three weeks away. I, You know, I asked him, like, what when he thinks the, like, peak version of this version of Draymond Green can give to this team. Basically, how good he can be this year. Because I think we all understand he's, like, peak Draymond isn't coming back. You know, 14 points a game, 38% from three, two steals and two blocks, defensive player of the year. That's gone. When should the Warriors expect the best version of 30-whatever he is now? Is he 31 yet? 31-year-old Draymond Green. He is 30, 31 in March. Yeah. He says two to three weeks. What do we think that version of Draymond Green is? is this year because right i mean right now he's shooting like 36 percent overall 21 percent from three he only has two total blocks all season he hasn't rebounded uh, like they need him to rebound how much better do you expect him to get in those categories at least you know he's not even playing his normal minutes yet you notice i mean he's i'm just looking at his minute totals 29 yeah, 20 30 25 28 that's kind of what he is now. Yeah, you figure he's thirty-two. You figure he's a thirty-two-minute game. I just figure he's thirty-two, thirty-four, and in a big game, thirty-six. Clearly, there's more for him to give, and he knows there's more for him to give. And you know whether that shot ever like you say the thirty-eight percent every time we we mention it. But can you imagine Draymond ever shooting thirty-eight percent from three again? Ever, ever? No. He needs to get above thirty-eight percent overall right now. Yeah, exactly. Again, the offense is the offense, but. They play better when Draymond's on the floor. Certainly, there's. I mean, that's just that it just happens. Sometimes they get blown out with him, but they generally play better with him on the floor. And I think if you see him get those minute totals up, where Kerr feels comfortable upping him, he'll play the whole first quarter, not substituting him out with three left in, in the first and third. You know, getting him back in. You know, to make sure he, he closes the fourth and you know the seven minute mark, not the six. I think those will be our hints. Because I don't think they think he quite had, and I think part of his answer to you Slater was that I don't think his wind is still all the way there. I don't think he's all the way in get up and down, push the ball. When you ask him what can you, where can you really help this team, he didn't say it was rebound. He was push the ball, push the ball, get everything moving so they can't throw those janky defenses at Steph. They can't set up in the half court and let the ball move around a little easier that way. And that unleashes Ubre to an extent, unleashes Wiggins a little bit more, gets Draymond to the hoop. I'll tell you what concerns me. Can you venture a guess as to how many total blocks Draymond has this season and how many total blocks he had in his fantastic 2016 season? Well, you're talking about total. So, total, uh, total blocks. If I, if I had to guess, I would say he probably had, he had over 100 2016. 
I'd imagine that, right? More than one in a game. 113 total. What did Slater say? He had like two blocks this year? Three blocks? Two blocks still. <laughs> two blocks still. And, not, and none since January 10th against Toronto, by the way. So that's what concerns me. And yeah, he can help them pushing the ball, which it is a little funny. You know, how can I help the Warriors? Doing the thing I love to do. <laughs> Doing the thing I'm really, really into doing. But as far as when is he going to be back and when is he going to be at the expectations I mean that's got to turn around that's really that's really interesting and you wonder if some of that is scheme but I do see some potential physical decline there unless that unless that turns around to have only two blocks at this point of the season is amazing I mean some of that I think is like Wiseman and Wiggins are both in the top like 10 or 15 in blocks so he's not necessarily the shot blocker on the team but also when's the last time you even remember him like going in attempting to block a shot at the rim even if he got a foul or didn't get the block like he's still doing really smart good defensive stuff I mean you saw what he did to Blake Griffin the other night you know positional stuff what he did to Nurkic in the Portland games but he yeah I mean Ethan's right like I don't even know when he's had a block chance in the last 10 games he doesn't even go for them Certainly not the help block. Like he doesn't do the help stuff. And he, the rebounds too. Like he's not he's not going in there. Remember Draymond was like the king of the tough in traffic clutch rebound. He's not really doing that anymore right now. We will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Remember during our long, cold off-season when we were doing uh, the rewatches? And remember when we re I think it might have been the first one we rewatched. It was the, that Steph Curry 40-foot dagger in Oklahoma City game. I think he had 15 rebounds, like 15 assists in that game, something like that. And I mean, the assists, he's actually assisting at, at a somewhat normal clip right now. But 15 rebounds in that game. Remember the way, yeah, like you're saying, he was like bodying Steven and Adams up, going and like high-pointing the ball in traffic. And yeah, 15 rebounds in like a high, you know, athlete game with Duran and Adams and Westbrook and all those guys out there. He doesn't exist as that anymore. It's jarring too when you see it, right? Like when you watch old highlights of Draymond, like he he is moving. Like <laughs> you, you you kind of forget 
that, you know, I know he's not the most explosive athlete, but he definitely had a, a quickness advantage going up against the bigs. Did you look up how many dunks he's had, by the way, Slater, after he asked you or mentioned that might have been his first two? That was his yeah. second. Well, he even within and maybe it was another answer of the same one. He's like, actually, I had one on two feet the other day, but that was my first one on one foot. But yes, he has two dunks. I was so distracted by what they were saying about Magruder that I just you know, couldn't even keep track of anything regarding the team. Did you see the blowback they got from that? I have a quick take, quick take on that. I think it's interesting to me because as I wrote about a bit in my book, that's the real NBA. I mean, it's pitched like cutesy and Instagram and people having fun and soap opera, palatable soap opera about what teams people are going to. That's professional sports right there. It's vicious. The stuff these guys say to each other, the amount of cruelty, not just towards an opponent, but within team. Basically, you're going to be going back to Russia soon if you don't start hitting your shots. I mean, that's that's real NBA basketball. And Clay, I think, just forgot that he was in public and was saying the stuff he would just say if he was I on the bench. I don't know, man. He was talking to Azubuki and... And Fitz, I think he knew exactly what he was doing. That wasn't like a hot mic. He was answering questions. Like, I think he did that on purpose. I think the phrase Clay knew exactly what he was doing. I think that's an argument that I'm going to take the other side in the moment. I'm going to take the other side. I think he was. No, unfiltered. I'm just saying people were saying it was a hot mic, right? Like, oh, he was talking. No, like, no, no, it wasn't they a were hot talking mic. Talking to him and he was answering, right? Like, it wasn't a hot like, mic. They were trying to tell him to chill and he wasn't chilling. <laughs> no, he was just being what he is. You know, in a typical situation, and maybe because he missed it, he kept talking about how much he missed it, and so he was he was acting the way these guys act when they're on. He the even bench. said that, right? He's like, "Man, I can't even do nothing about it. I'm in a boot, right?" Like he was, he he was thirsty to get out there. That that's the real NBA. It's vicious and it's cruel. And let me tell you, Clay isn't any different than the majority of players, right there. And it's funny when people get exposed to it and they recoil. And you just you just have to wonder what do you guys think this is? This is this is a pretty cutthroat industry. You know, if you don't if you don't dominate your matchup enough every night, you're out of the league. And there are only three hundred or so spots, and everything is underpinned by that. So it's really vicious. I mean, you're not going to be happy. I mean, about is there anything recruiter. more vicious than Honey Nut Cheerios? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty vicious in a different way. <laughs> I mean that that was whew, that was that was cold game. That's a different kind of viciousness. But I just wanted to get that take out there that people make it specific to Clay or the Warriors or Draymond. And to my mind, that's actually just the NBA. And at some level, it's probably why people like it, because it's that height of competition right there. Well, I mean, have you ever, yeah, has anyone ever heard Draymond kind of off mic yelling at something? I mean, like the Paul Pierce thing? Like, remember, you thought they were going to have a, a, a parade for you? You thought you were going to be like Kobe? They don't love you like that. They don't love you like that. I mean, that's as vicious as it, as it gets in Paul Pierce's final season. But that's, yeah, that's competitive nature. That's back and forth. I, I was just saying, you know, we saw some of that in Clay. Remember when the, 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 uh, Draymond and LeBron stuff in the finals, and Clay was the one, you know, shooting fire at Draymond for complaining and for looking to the refs. I mean, that was out of character. We thought for Clay, but that was one of those moments. I just immediately flashed that, like, this is Clay. This is this. He's competitive. You think he's the Zen, you know, just mystic, you know, China Clay? But he gets in there. He's like raised by Michael Thompson. You think Michael Thompson doesn't have a mouth? He was, you know, he got he got barked at by his dad all the time. So. 
Uh, yeah, it's NBA stuff. It just got with two brothers, yeah. with two brothers, all competing, all competitive. And this is a guy who strived with the Warriors who do that stuff. They do it to each other. This is how they go. Now, you know, which is maybe where Durant didn't quite fit in. You know, he he wasn't a guy that they felt like they could bark at until Draymond really, really, really barked at him. But that was kind of pent up stuff. I guess we're going back over ancient history there. Maybe I shouldn't have done that, but it's part of who they are. This is who they are, and you can love them or you hate them for them. There was there was a lot of blowback for that. I was kind of surprised by it, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised by. You know, we're just in the middle of it. We just cover them every day. We just write what we see. We write what we know. And then people drop in, and they don't like it sometimes. It's the way it goes. You're, you're a very popular team. You're a watched team. You're a ratings team. As Ethan says, you're a public team. You're going to get reactions to it, and, and we're all watching it. I just felt for everybody named Rodney. Like <laughs> Rodney. Rodney. I was like, geez, Draymond just went after. If your name was Rodney, you felt some kind of way about that. Like He just mocked the whole name. Which was hilarious. Like, <laughs> I mean, look. On one hand, we say we want the candid, right? But if it gets too candid, you know, people want to run. This is who they are. Like, this is what they do. Well, yeah, and if this someone does do. it to them and it gets caught on yeah, microphone, there it goes. You know what? Someone gets on Draymond for shooting whatever he's shooting. That's life, you know, and that's life in the NBA. It's com- competitiveness, and and you know how you win? You win games. That's how you win. You don't do it any other way. And Rodney Magruder did walk all the way over to the Warriors bench to say something. What did Tuscany? What did Tuscany? I have no idea. Like, but whatever he said pissed him off. But he walked all the way over to the Warriors bench, which is, you know, I think a little bit more toughness than Draymond gave credit for. (laughs) Like, I mean, I guess like Draymond said, ain't nobody gonna fight. So what are you doing? But I mean, still to walk over to the Warriors bench after not playing and get in Juan's face. If I was Draymond or Clay Thompson, next time they're on a court with Rodney Magruder, I would kind of have my head on a swivel a little bit. Which is when? Next year? <laughs> who? I mean, well, well. first of all, Detroit, they've already played twice, so it's not against Detroit. But Rodney Magruder is the kind of guy who might just like shift over else, to yeah, Miami yeah, and then suddenly yeah. you're on the court with him. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Don- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, you guys, uh, Wiseman segment probably is, you know, the the weekly look at, at what's been an interesting rookie season. I'd say the move to the bench seems to have actually, like, helped him. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe he was going to already have kind of what I thought was a pretty good week. It's just the move away from Ubre. Just getting away from Ubre. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, he's clearly in better lineups. Like, even though that, I mean, like, you're kind of laughing, but, I mean, you're obviously correct within that. Like, right, they now have him out there with a shooter instead of Ubre. It's Damian Lee, it's Kent Bazemore, or it's Michael Mulder, which opens up the floor more for his offensive game, which was probably the biggest thing he did this week, right? He's, he does seem to be scoring more often. I mean, you mentioned his per 36 numbers. How many points is he at per 36? Like, over 20 at this point. Duckins, seals on the fast break. I mean, he... I think he's just one thing he's getting more comfortable in is just scoring. He looks to me like like a twenty point score pretty soon in his career. I don't mean like next month. I mean year two, year three. I could see him being a twenty point score. He can create shots, and that's a hard thing for seven footers. You know, it's nineteen year old seven footers for sure. Like he literally can like take it, drop step, spin, turn, put up a shot. Now it's not always going to go in, but those you know he can just get a shot off, and that is a, a an incredibly important escape valve. Uh, for an offense that sometimes bogs down. Now, they can't go to it like with high efficiency now. Again, 19 years old, juggles the ball sometimes. Sometimes the, the shot looks funny. But he can get to it, which I think is true. Like, you know, they'll do the pick and roll with Looney and throw him the pass, and he catches it, and he's one foot away from the basket, and he can't put the ball in the basket. So even as I praise Looney, Ethan, I praise Looney, high plus <laughs> minus, all that, the stuff around the basket is just so hilarious for me to watch because it just i can just say he okay they make the perfect pass he makes a perfect roll there's no defense there and the shot's not going in the basket my it's favorite not, looney my favorite looney is pump fake pump fake pump fake pump fake pump fake okay. it's all, all about right. those aircraft those aircraft carrier assists right there it's all it's all about that screen assist all that stuff that's all fine i mean but what Wiseman can do is he gets that ball in that in that position that's going up at the, at the rim. And sometimes it's not going in, but a lot of times it is. And as people, and one thing I do appreciate, I, people across the league, as they kind of sift through the Warriors, they're not watching every minute, they're not falling. They look at Wiseman, they go, whoa, there's something there. If you were like NBA writer in New York, and you're just going through games, you would go, wow, that guy's something. Like I go you know, with Obi Toppin. that kid, right? Yeah, yeah with Obi Toppin, <laughs> I go... Huh, he's not playing a lot. That's interesting. With Wiseman, I go, whoa, that dunk was something. Yeah, I watched the Knicks Clippers game yesterday. Obi Toppin looks very much like a ninth man for a long time. And, you know, he's supposed to be the polished product coming yeah, out. Yeah, and he's just standing three point line, right? That's what I like. I just see him. He's, he's just, just floating just, around, really. And he looks, he looks small on the court, to be honest. I thought, I, I said that in the pre, I said that in the preseason, man, I couldn't believe how small he looks. That quickly but, kid looks good, though. Quickly looks so good. Really. Very good. That quickly really kid looks good. incredible. You know who looks That's great? Really, Julius Randle looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he does. does. Yeah, he, he does. does. He looks like he did when he was a young player, as opposed to like the last few years. He looks like Zion. Like, like he like he skipped a few years, right? Like, remember, remember he was like giving, you know, he was war with Draymond. He was a young Lakers. Like, man, he's gonna be good. Then he disappeared, and then wherever, whatever alternate universe he was in, he was actually getting better. Because now it looks like it, right? Like it looked like he just came back, and he's this player you thought he would be. After this hiatus, he's it's that that big team's got a little something, man. They look good against the Warriors. They sure look good against the Warriors. Like any Kentucky guy is gonna eventually provide value. I think is the uh, is the lesson in the NBA. I don't um, know, man. I'm still waiting on Trey Lyles. Come on, yeah, <laughs> that, one, that one might be the one. That My that goodness, one he's a skilled. Trey Lyles, a skilled player too. You would have thought. You would have thought super skilled, man. It. I thought he'd be nice. Are we seeing Kerr figure out the, the the guards here? By the way, like 
I'm, he had Mulder in there in the rotation, and he's out of the rotation. I'm still not quite sure what. Steve's I mean, well, he's back in now, right? Right. He's he got to be because pools. Yeah, pools in Orlando. That was the odd part of the last game. Was like pools, like the, his send off. It was like a moment. I was like, are we sure he should maybe not be playing over <laughs> Mulder right now? Because Mulder's not playing well. Um, at least the last like three, four games. Well, Kerp put him in that rotation and then yanked him right back out. Like, I mean, there's some transition defense stuff. I think that's really problematic with him where Kurt just does not want him on the floor when he's doing stuff like that. And the shot hasn't been great, by the way. Like, that's his whole role is hit that shot. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's not, he's not making it at a high efficiency. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey, guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paolo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Should I dangle the the big speculative topic out here? Because I'm not sure if we're going to get to it. Uh, go, go. Man, TK, 43.6%. Come on, what you mean? Really? Well, man, that's more it than do, It definitely doesn't feel like it. It yeah. definitely doesn't feel like it. Bradley Beal. Bradley yeah, Beal. I'm about to have okay. a well, no, no. larger conversation with like Fred Katz on the Athletic NBA show about this. But yeah, I mean, it's. I thought Ethan was going to say Jeremy Lin the way you were coming at it from oh, around the corner. Uh, <laughs> no, he's going to be the one taking minutes from Mannion and Poole. Nico, and, uh, Nico versus Jeremy. No, uh, J- Bradley Beal. Yeah, I mean, that's. What do you think about that one, Slater? I think it's the conversation that opens up a wider discussion about like mortgaging the bridge to the future now for a slight, slightly better, how, you know, whatever percentage chance, you know, I was talking to Tim about this offline and I said about a, let's say a 20% better chance of winning the title next year. If they got Bradley Beal, 25%. I mean, that, that is a large jump. You know, you are mortgaging the, if we're talking about, cause we're, we would be talking about Wiseman and the, you're not bit. the prohibitive favorite, you know, you're not, you're, you're, you're giving away, you're giving away to the future for a shot. And it seems like a lot of fans want it. Well, they want to win now, you know, because they'd be better next year with, with Bradley Beal. But if you're the Wizards, you want Wiseman. I mean, that's the thing you're that's the thing you're asking if for. If you're the Wizards, you're not doing a trade with the Warriors if James Wiseman's not included. How could you? You're going, oh, you're not going to give us James Wiseman. Okay, Denver, uh, Michael Porter Jr., is he on the table? Okay, Atlanta, let's talk about a bunch of your young guys. They have to get Wiseman. And I think Beal's great. I really do. But... If Clay is anything, well, first of all, you're paying Clay forty million dollars or thirty-eight million dollars, and then you're going to add Beal as making thirty-three, and you're probably going to have to pay Beal to make sure he's not doesn't hit free agency in two years, and so and, and by the way, they're somewhat overlapping. It doesn't, you know, like I understand they're both great players. One hundred sixty million on them. Yeah, and you've got Andrew Wiggins, and you've got Steph Curry, and you've got Draymond Green, and at some point that doesn't work mathematically in a payroll especially when two of them does it work on the court like if that's your five right there 
Clay and Beal are going to do some. Clay and, is the salary match going discuss, the other and way. We've discussed this. That's why Durant, yeah, and, and, there's, and Clay's not going to be the salary match because there's no way Washington would take that. And neither is Wiggins, apparently. And then you don't have a small forward if you put Wiggins into it. That's why Durant was the, like, everyone says, oh, it's just like the Durant move. No, there's never going to be a Durant move when all the players' ages lined up like that and the positioning was perfect. It was the perfect position to place in there with the Warriors. This is why it's not parallel to Durant. There's just the, the money. And also, by the way, when they signed Durant, they were under the cap. They, this is a whole different scenario uh, and you know hey spending joe lacob's money i that, that's fine by me there there's some point though when you have five players making 30 million dollars or more that it doesn't work and with no way to get out of it no other extra picks to get yourself that young superstar who can balance it out i don't see it i don't see wiseman plus the pick for beal i just don't see it there's a school of thought here and i've heard it which is that beal's a top 15 player so you got to do it. You give up everything for a top 15 player. But if you look into the nuances of it, I, and I think Beal's great. I think Beal's fantastic. I've got pretty much nothing but praise for his game. But it's not a situation like the Lakers trying to get Anthony Davis where there is an obvious positional need. He is not overlapping with anything else you do. He's also, going to Anthony fit. Davis is better than Bradley Beal. Well, that's the other thing. He's Anthony Davis. That's number one. He's Anthony Davis. And number two, it's an obvious fit. Him and LeBron in the pick and roll. You need a big. It fits perfectly. Mortgage your future. But with Bradley Beal, there's overlap, right? And it's not a two plus two equals four. There is some diminishing returns there when you add Beal. And he does a lot of what Steph does. And he does some of what Clay does. And he's a small off guard. And he does play defense, but he's a smaller off guard. And so, obviously, it would make them better if they got Bradley Beal. But did this, does it make them so much better that you're giving away all of your future? And I, I have to say, you can't. And you're going to be potentially haunted by it, especially if you're in a situation where you're giving up more than Wiseman and maybe that Minnesota pick. I think it's a little rich for my blood. I think if only the Minnesota pick was on the, the table, I think that's worth it. You know, I think I think this is as potentially as valuable as the Minnesota pick's ever gonna be. Because what if it doesn't convey? What if it, you know, because of the eighth pick in the draft and like the guy they get's like not even that good, you know? Wiseman is much more tangible of of an asset to give up because you know who he is. Uh, you know, you don't know what he's gonna be necessarily, and that's probably what the conversation comes down to. Because look, I do I'm a little bit higher on Beal as a fit for them in in the immediate than than you guys are. I mean he's he's averaging 35 points a game this he scored 31 last year like they would be unguardable offensively if clay's even 80 percent of what he is now like i said a 20 percent better chance to win the title next year which is a valuable thing to get obviously is that worth giving up a guy who could be an all nba center down the line for for six years or something like that to me the conversation comes down to Whatever you think about Wiseman, you probably think about this trade. Whatever you think about Wiseman's going to be. Because if you just think Wiseman's going to be an okay starting center long term, I think it would be worth it to go get Bradley Beal. But I think most people in the organization think Wiseman's going to be better than just an average starting center in the long term. So I don't think they want to give that up. That's the thing people underrate. You have the potential to be haunted by this move versus if you never end up making the move. And GMs do think that way. If you never end up making the move, there will be some fans who will grouse, and Andy Liu might light you up if Bradley Beal helps some other team win a championship. But if you trade away James Wiseman, and he becomes what you've been saying he's going to become, 
you're probably not winning the championship, and that's probably going to get hung around your neck for a decade or so. So that's what you're risking, to be clear. I don't even know if Wiseman is the actual issue here. Like, if you give up Wiseman and you just go with Steph, Bill, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, how good are you actually? They'll be able to score, but who are they guarding? Like, who are they guarding? Yeah, Clay's not going to be able to guard like he did, too. Yeah, the Durant part worked not because he was the greatest scorer, right? But because he played defense. That's why it works. I mean, you're looking at Brooklyn now. They got all the offense you need. They can't guard anybody. Well, let me just – what I would say is, like, let's think about a starting lineup next year of Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Wiseman – and we're talking 20-year-old James Wiseman, compared to Steph, Beal, Clay, Wiggins. You know, Draymond could be your small ball, or, but you can go to the mid-level and you could get yourself a Marcus Sol, a Serge Ibaka, you know, that type of veteran center with the mid-level. You can't. They didn't do it this time. Like, that's why they got Wiseman. That's why they got well, Wiseman. you're going to be able to better when you could say, hey, come win a title with this win-now team. You probably could have got a Marcus Sol if you if Clay wasn't having the ACL and Marcus was sitting there going, well, I want to win a title and you guys can't win a title anymore. So I do think if you had that win now team, you could go fill in. My point is they're better next year with Bradley Beal, but I still don't think you make the move because of what's down the line. I don't know that they are better. That's what I'm saying. If you go get Marcus Gasol or Sergi, but no, no, if you go get Marcus Gasol, if you go get Marcus Gasol or pick your center, is that guy playing down the stretch of games? You got five guys making at least $25 million. Which one are you sitting? None of them. That's your five. And I like that five better than a five with 20-year-old James Wiseman. But I don't want to trade 20-year-old James Wiseman. That would be my thought. My point is that five might be better, but it won't be a better team. You got five dudes. Everybody who comes to this team will know I'm not playing when the game is on the line because they got five dudes making $30 million and none of them are sitting. So that's your team. That's what you basically are saying. Everybody else is like, okay, second quarter, start of the fourth quarter, but at the end of games, you got five guys or you sitting somebody. You beat LeBron and Anthony Davis with that team? You have three of the best shooters in the league at a high volume. I think you could defend pretty well in the modern NBA with it. I think you need Draymond Green to be able to defend the Anthony Davises of the world, and that's another future conversation then. Who's guarding the point guard? Bradley Beal. Wiggins has shown he's a good defender. I mean, like, Beal, I think, has been a good two-way guy in his past. Now he's, like, melted down on, in, a, in a Wizards situation. Beal can guard, but he's 6'3". I mean, he, he can, I think he's a good defensive player, but I think you are a little bit back to not necessarily Steph Amante, but there is this, this thing that they like, this thing that Kerr likes of having the large two guard, and that's, that's taken off the table. I agree with Slater that they're better next year with Bradley Beal and Bradley Beal can, despite the redundancies, you do finally have somebody who can not only shoot, but actually pass to Steph and find him, which is something that they, they haven't had. Bradley Beal is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Awesome. I'm just saying you giving it all up. And is that, a, is that the championship team? It's too rich for my blood. No guaranteed championship. The unspoken thing is here is like, what if he has to replace clay? Because we don't know what Clay's going to be. He's better than we don't know what Clay is. But part of the championship mix is Clay is back and good. So, like, that becomes the floating unknowable. And I would rather have 
the 19-year-old center who's going to be 20 next year, who I think is moving up, and that pick, because I do think it's going to cost both. Washington does not have to trade Beal. Does not have to trade Beal. And if they do, they're going to have some good packages elsewhere. Exactly. They're going to have where it's going to be similar to Wiseman plus the pick. The Warriors have to put up Wiseman plus the pick, and I just don't see that. They're not sure about whether Clay's going to be back 100%. We don't know. And if you're just putting Beal in there because you kind of don't know, but it's going to help, but you're going to, I don't see where that, I think Wiseman plus that pick could be the, the bridge to wherever they're going and could help the next season, maybe in, in some way, not a huge way. And that's where the value is other than, yeah, we all like Beal, but I think like if you wait a little bit and something blows up in Milwaukee, guess who Milwaukee's going to want? James Wiseman. If something screwy happens in, you know, in Philadelphia, although they're playing great now, who's Philadelphia going to want? James Wiseman. That's why I think you hold it for a, you know, either you keep him and watch him grow into something really good, or when you do do it, you don't do it for a 6-3 guard. That, uh, that yeah. would be my point. I was going to say, you know who else you might want? James Wiseman. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, that one, too. That one, too. You know, and Jonathan Kaminga, you know, or, you know, or you know, all these people we're watching – like I, I see seven guys that you could just line up in this year's draft and go, that guy could help immediately. Zaire Williams and you know, these are all really good players. Again, you don't know how great they're going to be in the NBA. That we're not all on the board for the draft last year, I should say. You know, I don't know what the what deals will formulate, and I think Ethan's on my side on this. I do think the Minnesota pick could be moved. You know what I mean? Like that is this is a good time to to kind of dangle that out. It's value, but man, you better get more value than you than it might ever be. You, if it ends up an eight pick, it never gets the value that it has right now. But you have the prospect of it being the four. Yeah, I mean, that's it is correct. Right now is when you do it. But teams aren't going to trade it. Like assume it's the fourth pick either when when they're talking to the Warriors. Like it, it could be the eight. It could be not. It couldn't. It might not be conveyed till next year. I would really really be gamblers always assume the highest come on (laughs) somebody's over there holding a rabbit foot like this is gonna be for you know hey that that lineup by the way bill steph clay draymond wiggins 175 million dollars next year (laughs) i do want to see somebody pay five max contracts to their yeah i mean the warriors could be the one and and yeah would that be the one that gets you a championship we we shall see it depends on is lebron going to be great until he's 40 some of this does have to factor in that like are you waiting out lebron or is lebron going to wait you out because this is getting ridiculous with him well as far as long-term strategy i'm just more of the perspective and I have been for a while, as Slater was indicating. Grit your teeth, make your best pick in 2020 draft. They did that. So far, Wiseman looks like a pretty damn good pick, even though some of these other guys are looking better than we might think as well. And then probably trade the Wolves pick because that's one year down the timeline. You're trying to align the timeline somewhat. So I think that's that's where the next move's got to come from if it's going to be a trade. It's got to be that pick, maybe something else. I think once you commit to Wiseman and you start with the development, I don't think you deal him. I think the downside risk is too high. I don't know, man. Slater's talking me into Bill now. He's great. Ooh, <laughs> what a turn. Let's go. No, let's go. No. Bill's nice, bro. Oh, Bill's like, a good player. He's a good player. I do think, though, like, like TK is right. I mean, the real, if you're replacing, if you need to replace Clay, Bill is. Put him right there, and you, this thing keeps moving. I mean, not to take you guys down too far of a rabbit hole. We got to get out of here soon. But um, what if Washington wouldn't do this? But if it was like Clay in the Minnesota pick for Beal, that would be 
yeah, yeah, you do it. That's a different conversation. That's a totally no, different and and it's the, that would be a, that would be a horrific yeah. trade for yeah, Washington. No way, Washington. Yeah, no, Washington's not. It would be a horrific trade for Washington that Warriors fans would be sad about and lament. <laughs> but hey, you know, you know what? KD looking pretty good. Some of these Achilles guys looking looking no worse for wear. It's something to think about. That's kind of like I w- I'm glad they brought it up on the broadcast with Clay, but I wish they talked about it a little bit more. Is you do see these some of these Achilles players with Achilles injuries. Looking pretty good now. It's not the explosive stuff. I don't know. You know, if you get an Achilles injury in your 30s, you're probably not going to be an explosive player. But KD had some explosion, but that wasn't his whole game. He's looking really good right now. He's hitting some shots that are just incredible, like just like prime KD. Clay certainly not an explosive player. Is he's watching what what Kevin's doing? I think he's thinking, man, I, I'm going to be back all the way, or at least as close to it as possible. Maybe not on the defensive side, and I think Kevin has has some slippage there. But that happens uh, after an Achilles. And I look at Durant, and I go, man, you know, I, I think Clay is going to look like Clay when he comes back. And, you know, but, but pending any other complications, who knows? He's also coming off an ACL, so all that adds up. But I look at Durant and think, I think the Warriors could be pretty good next year. That's what I'm looking at. If Clay Thompson comes back and hits 40, you know, 40% from three or whatever he's going to do at a high, high volume, that's what they need. And, and if, I don't it's know tough that Brad, to I don't not know, bank on that either. Yeah, and I don't it's know that not, you, yeah, like, you have that sitting there, and you go, well, why would you get Bradley Beal if it costs you James Wiseman in the pick? Because you you have to count on that because you're not trading Clay Thompson. That's the one fallacy that like Warriors fans say, oh, you can't trade Clay Thompson. Yes, you can't trade him because he's not tradable. That contract is not tradable. It wasn't tradable before you know before the Achilles, and it certainly is not tradable now. All right, we should probably get out of here. Another trade speculation. That did. Yeah, I think people oh, might. Yeah, well, we we, went down, to do we that went down a few rabbit holes. Yeah, it's okay. There. It's okay. That's what the public wants. That's what they're into. All right, quickly. Celtics, Mavericks, Mavericks, Spurs, Spurs, next five games. What is the success? Three and two? Yeah, I, I, I think oh, they I could think survive. So. Yeah, I think, so. I think they, they might want to try to sweep the Dallas. Doesn't mean they, they will. Uh, what, they're both on the road, right? So the Spurs yeah, so. is what they want to sweep. Yeah, yeah they're going four in Texas. Yeah, uh, they're not going all four of those, obviously. And, but I, I could see three and two. I mean, I, I could see two and three also as survivable, but I could see three and two. Dallas is not. Dallas is kind of shaky right now. Yeah, Dallas very is shaky. shaky. Right now. And those two Dallas games will be fun because I mean, you got the Doncic Curry matchup, obviously. Um, and one's on TNT Thursday night, and then the rematch is the ABC Saturday night game. There you go. So, you uh, go. and I think the league, you know, Ethan. I don't want to get too deep down this either, but um, I, I think their NBA is probably curious about what a Doncic Curry matchup does ratings wise on an ABC Saturday night. I'm curious as well. I'm still waiting for the... It'll be out by the time people listen to this, maybe, but I'm still waiting for Celtics-Lakers. NBA's got some interest. If, if MLB can't get their stuff together... Wait, we can curse that, though. If MLB can't get their shit together, uh, NBA might dominate the schedule slate for a little bit. That's something to watch out for. Well, that's the thing. It, actually, if the MLB gets its stuff together, they will delay because that's what—that's the smart money is for them to delay. So actually, like if they rush into it, they're going to ru- rush into it reporting February 17, and it, it might get a little. Actually, it's probably better for the NBA if the if the MLB does have it together because then it pushes it back a little bit, and the NBA is just going to have all February and March basically. Yeah, NBA is going to have a little pocket, and it also just seems like college sports might be disproportionately impacted by what's going on right now because I, there's not really campus life 
going on and they really seem they really seem in the background in a way that's that that's more so. So NBA might have a nice little pocket this winter slash spring coming up. Leave him alone, Ethan. Leave him alone. So we'll see if you uh, <laughs> see your mea culpa. To... <laughs> we skip right over that with Marcus. But anyway, I think that's enough, everybody. Uh, it's been real. Until next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.